Hello and welcome to the Ray Show Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Ray, and I am in beautiful downtown Athens, Georgia, on a nice, overcast, kind of sunny day here in our beautiful little music town. Uh, welcome to everyone. I hope everybody's doing well out there in uh, podcast land, um, swirling in the cosmos. We got a great episode for you today. We've got uh, J.D. Jeff Pinkus on the show um, from his solo fame, playing with the mighty Butthole Surfers, the mighty Melvins, the mighty Honky. I mean, he's just the list goes on and on, and he's super cool, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um. But uh, first of all, just want to thanks, thank you, everybody, for all the love for the uh, Brian Poole and the Jarbo episodes. Um, Brian's a really good friend of mine. I consider Jarbo a friend now. She's, uh, she's an amazing artist, and uh, I cannot trumpet her catalog anymore. Uh, same thing with Brian, um, and I'm sure you guys have been checking out his work. You'll be hearing a lot of new stuff coming from him soon. Um, I also want to thank everybody for all the support for the live shows we're a third of our way to our goal so if you can help us out the gofundme is still up it's it's on our uh, instagram page and we'll we'll share them on all the appropriate sites uh we're making we're trying to make this very very special we're in a, in a partnership with cine it's going to be really really cool we're going to be live streaming from the lab with a special guest and it's just going to be a fun night out so uh we're trying to make this as cool as possible and we do need a little of your help uh, i promise you i will get you back in this life on this plane and thank you so much for those who have donated um also want to announce we're going to start putting out some mini episodes we're trying to nail down what day we'll be releasing them at but it'll basically be me jack uh, Brant, Mike Schulenberg, uh, Jeff Rapier, uh, Jonathan Thompson. You know, all kinds of cats are going to be coming on the podcast on these mini episodes where we will try and talk about meaningful and um, meaningless things. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, also, finally, before we get to the talk with uh, J.D. Pincus, Want to announce, you know, well, not announce, it's already been out there, that he will be playing here in uh, Athens at the Jeff Rapier and Gary Autry uh, art opening at the wonderful Flickr Theater and Bar here in uh, beautiful downtown Athens. So that'll be on Friday, uh, June 17th. So get your tickets now. You'll get to, to see some cool art. And then you'll get to see the badass that is uh, Jeff Pincus get up and, and do his thing. So without further ado, uh, my friend and yours, Jeff Pincus. Well, welcome, Jeff. I want to thank you so much for doing the Ratio Podcast and for playing for us here in Athens coming soon. How you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, when we just talked before, it just rained out here. It's nice and cool. I found my shortest short shorts. I got the the wind blowing through my chest hairs. And it's just, I know y'all can't see me, so I want to give a visual. You know, we need the, the visual. Birds are, birds are singing. 
the chickens are pissed off because we haven't fed them yet. At least we don't have a rooster crowing during this one this time. Well, I'm doing great though, man. Hope you are too, Johnny Ray. Good to talk to you, man. Yeah, man. How many chickens do you have? Let's just start out right there. Well, yeah. Well, I did a video called from a getting it song, and uh, uh, all those chickens uh, got killed. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah, yeah. So at least they at least they were immortalized for a minute. Yeah, and uh, I got to spend some special time with each and every one of them. But now we have some of the relatives that we gave to the neighbors that they, they wanted to get out of the chicken game. So we got some boring ones. Now we got only got five because our dogs killed one of them. They bonded over a chicken, I guess. And uh, as as uh, as my wife told me, Camille told me that uh, uh, the new phrase for chicken that she just heard was nature's popcorn. So, no, so there's, there's just so many of them out there. So unfortunately, I already named one of them, and she was actually attacked by the dogs too. Uh, but she survived. We, you know, my wife's really good. She's like the uh, the the nurse for those things. She's really good at it. But she uh, she got a uh, you know uh, she's okay. But unfortunately, she was the rooster's sister. So I, and he was Logan, and he was the last survivor. It was like he got attacked by a bear. It was a huge raccoon. And uh, he was opening up the door in this way we didn't think he could. And so we were really baffled as to how he was getting in. But he uh, and we tried to protect him. We, he even ate one out of a, uh, of a, uh, an old dog pen we had. We put him we fenced him in and we put that in there and he grabbed a chicken while Logan was watching and pulled her legs through the uh, through the bars to eat her. Good. Right God. Yeah, it was brutal. And then. Uh, and finally, Logan and he got hit on that one, and he was he was took about three weeks, and he didn't make it. So uh, so, anyways, now we don't name him except for Logan, who is obviously Logan's sister, and the other ones are just really big, fluffy pieces of popcorn. Just yeah, ready to be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, shifting gears from chickens, you uh, you are coming here to Athens, Georgia. You're going to be playing an awesome show at the Flickr Theater. Uh, for uh, Also, with for our buddy Jeff Rapier's art opening. Um, what are your first... And men- Gary Autry, too, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, both amazing artists. Both of them amazing artists. Um, what What was your first memory of uh, coming to Athens? Did you come... You, know, you played with the surfers. <laughs> Did you guys play I- here? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was my actually my first show with the uh, surfers. Uh, but I was up there before because I grew up in Atlanta, uh, north of Atlanta, and I went to North Springs High School, and I went to uh, Woodland Elementary, and uh, went to Morgan Falls Dam to swim. But me and my friends would go up and pick up, uh, <laughs> we'd go pick up acid in Athens. Those are my earliest memories of doing that. We would go up there, and I remember we'd drink like Crystal Light lemonade with acid in it. That's where <laughs> these guys did it. And uh, and then just hang out there. And after we were done, we'd take the acid back to uh, us and our friends back then. So we would. I just remember doing bong hits on the way up to in the car, doing bong hits in my friend's car. And I don't know. I, I, we can only remember getting there the first time we went. There. <laughs> and, but that's how it started out. And uh, and then it evolved into playing music up there a little bit. And I uh, didn't get up there to play music until I was in bands in Atlanta. But I didn't get up there to play until I was. My first show was the Jack Officers. Absolutely. At, at, I believe it was at the 40 Watt that we did this show at, because I know we played there, and 
we we lit we lit up the bar with a bunch of cans of orange crush and we were covering the one i love by rem uh, one of the tours but uh this one we were tapping our crotches with contact mics on them uh this said uh it had davy and goliath episodes going off from the kids show so it, we had a four track and every time we would uh hit our crotch it would trigger off uh some dialogue from the tv show hey davy <laughs> and so, and our whole theory then was was not to uh, like play something awful for the crowd. It was we didn't you know for one we could get paid as being the opening band, for two we didn't have to move our gear, and you know it was just we didn't have to deal with talking to anybody that wasn't in our bands, which was always a plus too, because you know butthole surface fans are fucking weird. Yeah, I could I could only <laughs> only imagine just being one myself. That's like a red flag when someone's like when they come up and they go, hey man. I'm a big, huge butthole surfers fan, and I, I don't know why. I just got to back off. <laughs> <laughs> well, get, you know, getting back to the acid, you know, I grew up in uh, Clemson, and we would get acid. It just seems like the college town thing. You'd have these kids yeah. going to dead shows and stuff and bringing stuff back. So thanks, thanks to the colleges for the acid of, for for all these years. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember uh, us, us Metroplex punk rockers hanging out with the Grateful Dead fans outside the Fox Theater, uh, and just just trying to score acid. It was like a, you know, it was kind of like the old uh, Austin, Texas, when the bikers and the hippies and the cowboys all got together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all over acid, man. What you're I'm much more of a shroom person now. Oh, I am I too, man. There's, I, I, there's a big, big difference between the two. And I, I think as someone said, you know, LSD is way more analytical and mushrooms are like having a friend. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So always nice to have a friend and a little glow on the day, you know? Yeah. I feel like I'm just really <laughs> stoned when I do shrooms now, but acid is like, I don't have three days to stay up anymore. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, what's kind of funny is I I, I, I I don't know how detailed to get into the story, but I, I just played something and someone's like, I got something for you. And uh, I was like, oh, really cool. And he's like, you do acid? I was like, well, every once in a while, I'm you know, more of a shroom guy. And, and he goes, here you go. And it was an air, airplane bottle and, uh, you know, airplane booze bottle. And there was nothing in there. And he goes, a thousand hits of acid in there. I look at the bottom, and there was like a little bit of a cloud down there, uh, just stuck to the plastic. I was like, "Okay." He's like, "Yeah, it might give you a headache if you do it all." Like, all right. <laughs> so I still have that airplane bottle, but it's hidden away somewhere, so the authorities can't find it. There I you it go. I put it at my neighbor's house. There you go. <laughs> right Always behind the weed I grow. Always, always the good plan. <laughs> so. uh you're, okay, you're touring in support of the excellent Fungus Shway, and uh, I yep. want to dig a little leap, uh, a little deeper here, in a little bit about the songs. But but how did this how did this record come about? Well, uh, I've done the first one, "Keep on the Grass," and that was uh, live in the studio, and I did that with uh, well, my my uh, banjo sensei, Danny Barnes. And he asked me to do it, actually, to do some songs and turn it into an album. And uh, he was trying to do a uh, uh, kind of cassette label. I was going to say record label, but Minner Bucket Cassettes. And so we did, a he, he mixed it all and uh, put it onto a cassette. And he had it in one order. And I don't know why I changed the order of it, but I did. 
and uh, put made a, a he you know, he said go ahead and you know, press it if you want on CD and vinyl. So I did that. So I had my first album done, and like I said, it was live in the studio. So it was it was pretty much what you see is what you get, and uh, the first time for me trying to kind of log my my music in. And this one, uh, since I moved out here, I had a lot more songs, which I still have plenty more left. Uh, but I, I decided to do a little bit more produced one here at the house since it was pandemic times anyways. So, uh, so I, I spent, uh, I did it in a little different way. Uh, and so it's, it's got a little bit more production on the, uh, recording side of it, uh, and maybe less production on the back side of it. Like, you know, cause Danny added so much to my last one. Right, but right. I, I just—I wanted to do a follow-up. I wanted to do a different version of me doing my own songs than just doing the live one like I did before. And the next one I plan on doing uh, is supposed to be with a really amazing uh, guy, uh, Mike Savino, Tall Tall Trees, and he—you know—he—he's like an actual like player. I'm just a—I'm a hack, but he's—he's—he's—he's uh, uh, he's, he's gonna do a record with me, I believe. Uh, hopefully, we're gonna record at the end of August. And it's going to be out on Shimmy Disc, and it'll be more of my songs, but with him playing, it'll be two banjos, and he's going to—he's got a bunch of material too that I'm going to try and wrap my brain around. And uh, so that'll be like—I like to change it up each time I do it, hopefully. So it's not the same version of it when I do that. Hopefully, I'll have a full band by, uh, you know, to to do some of it, like Stanley Brothers style at one point. Hell yeah, man! <laughs> Damn, uh, that's what—that was before the pandemic. It was uh, Danny Barnes. And uh, Mark Rubin were going to come out and record my songs, bass and guitar. And I was going to struggle. Like they were going to lay down their stuff. And then I would lay down my stuff after they did the backing tracks because it will take me a lot longer. But uh, but uh, due to the pandemic, it was supposed to be that April uh, of that when it first when everything shut down and and never got to happen. So that would be my dream, though, to have like that many different kinds of versions of stuff like that. Oh hell yeah! And I mean, sir, you are far from a hack on the banjo. Um, <laughs> well, I have a hard time playing with other people. Let's put it that way. It's like I, I'm, I love to write songs on the banjo uh, and do stuff, but like when I'm around real players, I, I realize my limitations really, really quick. Right, right. Well, well, how long have you been playing banjo? How'd you get into banjo? Uh, well, I, I, I always loved the way they sounded, and I, I got it. I got my first one, in like I think. Uh, I think I got my first one in 80, I mean, I, yeah, like 88, 89, and it was a real cheap one. And then I got a nicer one, the one I still play, actually, in 1991. And uh, I remember we were, we were touring with the Flaming Lips and Stone Temple Pilots, and uh, there was a song, that uh, Turn It On, I believe. Yeah, that was the one. And I'd come up and play with the Flaming Lips, and that was like in 1990. <laughs> probably 1991 or 92 or something like that maybe yeah. 92 yeah uh, but yeah but so I've, I've always enjoyed doing it i just never thought of doing like an album of my songs or anything and and when i did it i was really really re enjoyed it and uh being able to layer it because a lot of times you have an idea in your head and you play with a band and you give up certain things so they can do their thing and so i think you can kind of create uh a more pure image of what your idea is uh, by doing it stripped down. And, you know, I, I think uh, Jim Kay, the guy who did Ren and Stimpy, uh, someone asked him about how how come cartoons suck nowadays. And he said, well, because uh, you know, everybody has to compromise on their ideas. 
And, you know, he, when he did Brendan Stempy, it was just him. And if you looked at, like, the new Bugs Bunny and stuff, uh, you know, that was done years and years later, you can tell how just it's got no substance whatsoever. I mean, I used to love Bugs Bunny. Yeah. But you watch this, the new stuff, and it's just a bunch of people in an office that are like, okay, well, you can do that. And then I've got this idea for this here. And, you know, and this uh, having one person be the captain, sometimes you get a better – uh, a better image of what what they're trying to bring across. You know? Right, right. You know, I had I remember somebody talking about those Bugs Bunny, the early ones. They were talking about you couldn't watch many in a row because there's so much, so much action, so much story packed in. Yeah. You know, oh, to yeah. the right things. Oh, it's amazing, man. And you know, and then we were of the days where you had to, you know, uh, at least I was. I guess I would assume you were too, but uh, being that we discussed our ages. But yeah, to to go down on Saturday morning to actually watch, you know, cartoons. Absolutely. I was kind of lucky. I had Ted Turner in uh in Atlanta, so you know, and you probably did too, I we, guess. So we we, we had it come some, out, yeah. Yeah, we would have some, you know, Spider Man in the afternoon after school or whatever, you know, shit like that. The old the old ones, so that that stuff. But yeah, so nowadays, you know, you can call anything up and look anything up anytime. There's no Saturday morning's no different than Tuesday afternoon. Ain't that a shame, man? There's just a shame about it you can't explain to people, you know? Yes, man. Well, I mean, everybody's got, as, as Pepper Keenan from uh, CSC calls it, the pocket Jesus. And, you know, so uh, yeah, you know, you could, you could be on a subway and, and be watching old school Bugs Bunny uh, on a Tuesday afternoon somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, you know, all of these recordings, uh, especially "Keep on the Grass" and then and the new one, they just have this real positivity. And I guess you know, it, you you sound so free. You know, um, I know these recordings affect your writing. Knowing hell, I can do whatever the hell I want to. Yeah, it's it's really also weird because you never know when you're finished. I mean, I know when I'm finished, but I have no one to bounce it off of. And my wife's so sick of the song by the time I finish it because our house is small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can't ask her for anything. She just wants it to be done. She'd be like, yeah, that's great. Just stop. Well, so, um, you yeah, know, it's, it's go on. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, as far as the positivity goes, it's just uh, what I'm trying to be in my in in my world and and hopefully that comes out with what i do uh because you know i speak about reality is one thing but to bring people down is another thing uh yeah so that's all i was going to point out on that yeah yeah and and for anyone that doesn't know and i can't believe you'd be listening to this you know if you didn't uh jeff was in the butthole surfers um and just briefly want to touch on just a little bit of that just how intense were you guys with the psychedelics when you joined that band? Well, you know, it was it was weird. It came it was like we had a thing with all drugs. Like, uh, you know, we would pretty much do them until they were gone. We didn't like to hold on to shit, and <laughs> we were pretty poor. So, you know, we'd get to certain areas, and then we'd like, you know, we'd get to the Northwest especially, and and we, you know, the psychedelics were everywhere up there, and people, you know. Uh, you know, a guy named Rainbow is drying some you know, blotters, and he's like, "Here, dude, these ones are from the bottom, man." Uh, so, <laughs> it's it just we, you know, we we did we did acid to to uh, keep ourselves awake on a drive from uh, L, from uh, uh, L.A. to New York, and uh, and you know, we drove straight across. And that those red sphere acid, I remember, 
but we had some experiences on the way out there. There's a rest area experience that was pretty intense and <laughs> some other shit. But the, the thing that people don't realize is being on the road, especially back then, uh, as long as we were on the road with the budget that we had, uh, every every night was a trip anyways. And if you're already if you're already in that mode that you're used to, uh, which acid would do to us, every night was a little bit more similar. Uh, you know, it was it was it was the same trip, different place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a uh, you know touring is a weird thing that way, especially back then in those days. You know. Oh yeah, and that's the other thing people forget about. It was affordable. You know, you yeah, could for yeah. five bucks, you could have a you know crazy crazy time, and and you know. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, you know, we we would end up like our tours would would be like end up in a town. Someone would have a warehouse. We'd unroll our sleeping bags and our pads, and and we just hang out there. And they're like, "Hey, so when's your next show?" And we're like, "Yeah, we're working on that." <laughs> <laughs> and then, then they get there, then they get in touch with their friends. They're like, "Hey, we found you a show. Right. Get the fuck out." You know. So I mean, it was it was you know we 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 didn't have cell phones. I remember we did have a a cell phone on our RV tour. And it was like five dollars a minute. It was it was like one size smaller than a bag phone. Right. And uh, we're, you know, it's like one of those things when you're on an airplane, you're like, hey, you won't believe where I'm calling you from. <laughs> yeah, that was, I remember those days, man. That was crazy. But uh, <laughs> that, but things are you know a lot different. Also, you know, uh, you know, we we could tour a lot more places because people didn't already see the show on their from someone filming it on their right. on their phone sending it to everybody is more like you'd have to describe like okay well i mean there's this chick and she's got like well green dye on her legs hairy legs and aluminum foil on her teeth and her head's shaved and she's she's doing a handstand on a on steps with a strobe light and uh and then there's a symbol thing with some fire and you know, that would be the way people would have to describe it to their friends instead of actually instead of actually showing uh you know the the video from their phones Right, right. I think that drew people out because you couldn't really picture it in your head. Yeah, <laughs> Necessarily yeah. what was going on by the description. You might get a picture of it like in a fanzine or something like that. But now everything's, uh, you know, I mean, we toured, well, I, I said we uh, was playing with the Melvins. We did some shows with the Rackin' Tours. And Jack White's got this thing about no, no cell phones. And it's not actually about recording his show, he says. He says it's about... Uh, just people enjoying each other and enjoying the moment. Yeah. And not, uh, and not, not, uh, it's not so he doesn't, so he gives his show away or something like that. Uh, it's just all about, you know, people, you know, he's weird that way. He doesn't carry a cell phone. So, you know, he's, you know, that's, I, I kind of dig that idea of it. Although, you know, there's no way that would work at my level. But to, to force people to act, I remember when we were up there on stage getting ready to play and people were sitting there talking to each other like in the seats like we could see him because we played early it was nice and lit up out there still and people seemed like they were actually having conversations and shit it was nice that's nice yeah i mean <laughs> i i hope that works I, I applaud and dig the idea i just hope people aren't arguing the whole time because they can't look on their goddamn phones <laughs> yeah people well, it's, it's a serious addiction nowadays man. it you really know, is yeah i mean i know people that can't put it down and uh and and some people that you know they need it. They're lonely. They gotta have their 
their social interaction somehow. Me, I can't wait to get the fuck away from everybody after <laughs> yeah. being, being on the road for a while. I just want some privacy. Which luckily, you know, touring by yourself, you actually get a lot of privacy. I don't, I don't have a guy I bring with me, so I do all the merch, all the tour managing, all the driving, and I like it that way because you don't have to entertain somebody with what kind of music you want to listen to, and you really don't even want to listen to music. Uh, yes, yeah, it's just a, it's a nice, nice peace of mind and a nice break. So oh, when yeah. I get off the road, I actually don't mind talking to people anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I do a gig alone, when I fly out to Vegas or something like that alone, people are like, "How do you do that?" And I'm like, "It's amazing. I can go yeah. anywhere the hell I want to. I can go eat when I want to." If I want to oh, yeah. go up and rest in the room, I don't want to, have, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's me on the road. I don't really eat that much. And when I go on the road with, like, the Melvins or whatever, it's like there's a routine and everybody, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, you're going to eat it this time. And if you don't eat it this time, you don't know when the next time you're going to get to eat is. You know, so, yeah, to me, it's, a, yeah, it's, really, it's really freeing being out by yourself. Right. Now, speaking of the Melvins, we're going to see you maybe any time in the near future recording or playing with those guys. Uh, I just did the uh, couple of songs, like I said, one eighteenth of the uh, Melvin's uh, <laughs> of the Melvin's uh, acoustic album, Five Legged Dog. I did two songs, and I believe there's thirty six songs on there. Yes, but as, as Buzz put it, those but those are two very beautiful songs. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I played uh, I played banjo on that one. Uh, I saw Buzz actually when they came through and played with uh, Ministry and uh, and Coc and. Uh, he told me that next year is the 40th anniversary and he wanted to do something with me again uh, next year. So we'll see what happens. I was just hoping to open for the uh, five-legged dog, dog uh, acoustic tour. That would that would just make me happy. Right, right. Well, what was it like yeah. playing with those cats? Oh, I love playing with them. I guess uh, I played the first time I played with them was on the 30th anniversary tour when Jared's uh, Jared's wife was having their baby. And I did the double drum tour, and then uh, and then the, he called Buzz called me up. I was actually doing a really cool recording session down in Houston with the original guitar player from Honky, and uh, he goes, he goes, hey man, uh, well is Honky available to uh, open up for uh, the Melvins? I was like, I didn't even ask the date. So I said, of course, man. When, whenever, man, was fine. Yes. And I didn't have to talk to anybody. I'd make that happen. And he goes, well, is it okay if Dale plays drums for Honky? I was like, of course, man. I'd love to have Dale play drums. And he goes, oh, well, how about you playing bass for us? Will you play bass for us? <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck yeah, man. I'll do that. So that's how my first tour with them went. Buzz is a businessman. who He combines the people that are, he, you know, it's a, it's a business, you know, and he knows how to make it work and how to combine people. And not only was was Honky on the bill, with, which only meant bringing Bobby, who's our guitar player. Uh, uh, Bobby was asked to be the guitar tech for the Melvins, so he was he was actually double duty, and that's how Buzz works. You know, he's got everything. You know, how can we do this with the fewest amount of people? So we all actually go home with money. You know? Yeah, and they they don't fuck around, man. On those itineraries, they they like two months, sixty fucking dates. You know, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys are all in, man. I'm at, uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing a tour uh, September. Uh, well, I'm I'm on a tour. I've got to get to it and back from it. But uh, their tour starts September thirteenth to October seventeenth, and I'm like, that's the perfect length for yeah. me, right there. I love that. 
But yeah, I saw their tour itinerary for this one, and that's a that's a long that's a long time to be away from Asheville, man. Long time, <laughs> long time. Yeah. And and you know, God bless them. So, uh, but you know, going back to just a few quick things, I wanted to you know, uh, what what are you proudest of from from your time in the Surfers? Oh, uh, shoot, man. That's a good question. Proudest of? Uh, you mean by what we created? Yeah, absolutely. The whole experience? Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. We did so many different things in so many different ways. Uh, when I first joined, we did locust abortion, and they'd already started on some of that. So I, that's one of my first – when I first started playing with them. And we were just doing song by song. It wasn't like going into the studio to do something. Then we did Hairway to Steven, which we were on the road so much at that point in time uh, that we would actually write songs while we were on the road. And I actually wrote like a large portion of the music for, for Hairway. I love that uh, record. And, it's one of and, my favorites. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think that's when a lot of people your age or whatever were first getting into it. It depends on the first version you see of the band. I think you know. Right, right. If you saw if you if you saw the band in 1982 before King was in the band, that's probably your favorite version. You know, or if you saw 1983 when King first started, that's probably your favorite version. That's my theory, anyways. You know, right. Nobody ever like when people saw the Melvins with two drummers. Uh, it was hard for them to you know people either you know you know wanted to see Dale play by himself. Or they love the two drummers, but if you love the two drummers and that was your favorite version, then then you're fucked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but as far as the the bus goes, we we evolved into doing different stuff when we weren't living together anymore, and um, and I'm really proud of the the EP Widower Maker, which was a lot of fun, uh, because that one was done pretty much like uh, that was. That was a different style of recording because we actually had to program drums because King didn't have a driver's license and he couldn't get out to where we were at all the time because we were out in the country and he was in Austin. So we had to make do with what we had, but like we all programmed our drums like King would play them. Uh, he's, he's got a, a style that, that kind of was, was easy to do that. And so that one was a, a cool album just because of the different way of creating it. I was really proud of that one, uh, but yeah. And then the Independent Worm Saloon was with uh, John Paul Jones, and That's that was insane. just a total, total rock record. And uh, uh, I enjoyed that uh, experience a lot. It was totally different. You know, it was like you know we went five thousand or six thousand bucks, I think it was over, over our recording budget, and that was all in whiskey. And we didn't even drink the whiskey until after we were done. At the end of the day, well, most of us. But, uh, and but y'all really were whiskey. y'all were jamming like Zeppelin songs with John Paul Jones, right? Well, the first day, <laughs> the first day he showed up, he uh, he was at our studio to to do like some pre-production. His his Casio keyboard and his and we're in this tiny little room with our clip speakers in our studio. The way we would practice when we were recording and shit. And he's got he's set up with his little notepad and his Casio. And uh, we're like, okay, let's uh, let's check your level. And so he starts playing cashmere with the Casio. Yeah, we're all like jaw dropped. We're like, holy shit, this is fucking happening right now. In fact, I played banjo on that record, and John Paul Jones was sitting right next to me playing bass guitar, and Paul was in front of me on guitar, and King was playing some kind of conga kind of stuff. But uh, but yeah, never in my like 15 year old you know high times 
pot fantasy did I picture of you know playing banjo with John Paul Jones playing bass right next to me. Yeah, that song I wrote. <laughs> I saw I saw him live with them crooked vultures, and I remember leaving just being so inspired. I was like, he had to be seventy then, and he was yeah. just so agile and so just in it, man. Yeah, um, yeah. I saw him with uh after we recorded. We, we uh, went to see him with Diamanda Gallas. Oh we, man, we, we had recorded with, but it was just them, them two together, him with an eight string bass and her magnificent voice. And uh, I saw him at the Paramount Theater. And we were like, hey, so yeah, well, he wanted us to hang. We were like, yeah, let's go down to the bar. So we went down to the Four Seasons bar where we were staying at. And I knew his favorite kind of scotch was Lagavulin. So I was like, hey, do you, uh, let me get you a Lagavulin. He goes, no, no, get me a Shirley Temple. I was like, yeah, right. Uh, so one Lagavulin. He goes, no, I'm serious. And he goes, y'all drove me to quit drinking. And he was in the Scotch Drinkers Society of Bath. <laughs> So we actually drove John Paul Jones to quit drinking. You should get bumper stickers made. God damn, yeah. that's that's classic. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, um, yeah, I invented a game of pool while we were all up in the middle of nowhere in Marin County at this really cool studio called The Site. And uh, and so we were playing pool every night, drinking whiskey. And so I invented this game called Six Ball, which was a gambling game. And uh, this the way we did it. It was kind of like you know, uh, there's I won't go through all the rules, but anyways, we could play it with multiple people with everybody anting up. But I uh, won, I think it was eighty bucks off of him. That maybe it was sixty bucks that night off of him on a game I invented. I oh my like, god! Yeah, I'm really good at that. I can I can for some reason I have this power of making people gamble with me on the shit that I come up with. Oh shit. Dude, I wonder if you like thought about that while you're trying to fix your broken physical graffiti tape or or whatever when you're a kid, you know. Um I do I do have a uh a, a, a piece of it's funny cuz it's just in cardboard and I need to get it framed someday. I've had it since back when we recorded and uh he was playing on my uh he had a Martin acoustic bass and I had a Guild acoustic bass and he was playing on my acoustic bass to so check out the difference cuz I had a much bigger body. And he popped a string on it and he just, his eyes and his mouth just opened up. He goes, that's the first string I've ever broken. I was like, no, oh my way. God. And he goes, he goes, uh, it was on my fucking bass. And so, uh, he goes, but he goes, I did have a broken string on my bass one time, but it was Paul McCartney. He was playing it. And <laughs> oh my but, God. Uh, but anyways, the next morning I, he wanted to buy me a new pack of strings. And I said, no, don't worry about it. Just give me a little note that says, this is the first string you ever broke. So the next morning I, I wake up and he's down with the calligraphy and, uh, and a post uh, Sharpie and a poster board. And it says, I, John Paul Jones do hereby declare that this was the first string I've ever broken. So I still, still got it. It's like sitting in my bedroom right now. Cause I just found it again in between two pieces of cardboard that says most important. That's all it says on it. Oh my keep, God, man. I you, keep fucking forgetting to, you have got to frame that. And, and, <laughs> Good God! You gotta send me, send me some pictures of that. Holy shit, yeah, man! Yeah, I will actually. <laughs> um, now, can we expect to hear any new mo- uh, hockey music soon? Uh, I don't think we're right now. I uh, don't have anything in the works. We were talking about maybe doing some shows, uh, but it's, you know, since I live in Asheville and Bobby's in uh, Austin, and uh, oh, we have so many different drummers to uh, to choose from, but we'd have to get one. Anyway, we had a lot of logistics to go into it. So uh, so hopefully we'll work something out. 
and it would be nice to get back in the uh, in the studio and, and rock some of the songs out uh, that we were working on. Our last show was March 14th and 15th, I think, right when the pandemic hit, and then I moved out here. So we just haven't really had the chance to get together and do that. It hasn't been really convenient. Right. But Bobby's right. playing out there right now, doing uh, every Wednesday at the Continental Club. He plays at midnight with Gordy from Grady and Hunt Sales. He used to play with Tin Machine with Bowie. Yeah, and yeah. Other, yeah, and some other drummers. And he goes out and does a, a blues jam at uh, uh, midnight every Wednesday. They got that going on. And he's also working for Gibson out in Austin, setting up guitars and uh, running some of the stuff in the shop. Well, our Austin friends have Gibson, to head out. He's got a Gibson Les Paul tattoo all the way up his arm. It's only fitting. That's <laughs> so bad. They could practice guitar while we were on the road, you know. <laughs> so badass. Well, you know, uh, get back to the surfers briefly. Kind of your touring. You know, you mentioned that that you know things start changing. You know, you start getting more, more, uh, more juice and more uh, support and. What was that first Lollapalooza tour like? Any memories of the other bands stick out that you... That... Oh, yeah. I, I was kind of a dick back then. I've changed a little bit now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I got quoted in Spin Magazine saying what was what was the best part of Lollapalooza. And I think I said uh, that dinner is served during Living Color and Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, it was. We played. We were the second band to ever play it because Rollins' band was was before us, and uh, we played it like four o'clock in the afternoon every day. And we would get up on stage and uh, do our thing. And Gibby had a couple of gags that you couldn't get away with, which was the uh, dog poppers in the twelve gauge and yeah. throw up a throw up a, a beach ball. And uh, when it gets close enough, there is flame and impact that comes out to blow up the beach ball, so people think it's real. And a fake a fake whiskey bottle, he throw it up in the air and crash it over his head. And so, but the uh, shotgun, it was kind of funny because we had Ice T uh, doing the Cop Killer tour uh, with Body Count was after us, and he'd come out with his little nine millimeter doing, and that was after Gibby's like pointing the twelve gauge at the crowd and and shooting off dog poppers. So it kind of, as as he put it, stole his thunder on that, which he, he would watch us every night. He was really, really nice. Well, you Good know, dude. there's a video for everybody up of the, of a show on that. And what I love about it, including, you know, the gags with the uh, with the shotgun and everything, is just how, how hardcore y'all are performing and just don't give a fuck. And there's just this yeah. massive crowd, massive you know, but they didn't uh, give a fuck either. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and they're, I, like, they're like trying to save their spot for Nine Inch Vanilli. Yeah, and they got their like they got their, like their 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 butthole burger because that's what they call like all the food after all the bands. I, I believe the burger was the butthole burger. So you'd actually be you'd actually see people with their elbows up on the stage or as close as they could get to it, just standing there, not even watching us, but eating their butthole burger, <laughs> waiting for whoever was coming on next. <laughs> But all of our fans were way back in the back and, you know, tearing shit up on the, after the time delay speakers way off in the lawns and shit. Yeah. They didn't buy any. None of, none of them bought seats that right in front of us. We could, we could barely see it. You just see some circles up at, on the hills up at the top, you know. Yeah, I remember I saw you guys in a similar situation. I didn't see that, but I saw that co-headlining tour you did with Stone Temple Pilots. Was it called the Barbecue Mitzvah? 
Or yeah, something I don't that. know who's, who the fuck came up with that stupid ass. Idea. Yeah. Probably, yeah, it was pretty dumb. But yeah, I think that's what they called it, something like that. Yeah, I saw you guys at Lakewood on that tour, and I remember just oh, yeah. watching people seeing the butthole surfers, and I thought, God damn, this is perfect that these some of these kids are seeing this, you know? And oh, dude, yeah, yeah. There was one, there was one show when we opened for Pearl Jam, and we we had done a string of shows with like you know, STP, and we did some shows with Nirvana, and uh, we get asked to do this Pearl Jam shit, and we just we, I guess we I don't know why we didn't practice, but we never even got together really before we we did this the show. Maybe we practiced once, we you know, to get our gear packed or whatever. And so we get there, and I'm it's like early in the daytime again, no light show, no movies, no strobes, none none of that kind of shit. And I'm looking down, and there's like Chad with his uh, his his Bermuda shorts on and his button down shirt and. And, you know, holding his beer and all of his friends that look just like him. And all of a sudden I hear, you suck. And in between songs, I was like about to say something. And, you know, I don't even know who said it. But in my head, I'm just like, no, they're actually they're right. We actually suck. I mean, we're, <laughs> we sound fucking awful. <laughs> even, for, even for us, we sounded awful. But I had to agree with them, man. In my head, I was like, I want to be mad. But I was like, no, nah. yeah, that's why people practice, I think. Right, right. Well, do so you, you would have thought we sucked if we sounded good? Yeah, hell yeah, man. <laughs> that would that would just especially deal with those dudes, man. Um, do you have any uh, unrealized collaborations that that you're hoping to make a reality? Oh shit, yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I got I got lots of. Them, uh, there's one that that might be I don't know if it's gonna happen or not, but I, there's a drummer that's moving out this way, and he's got a plan uh, that I would love to see happen. Uh, but it would be him on drums, me on uh, bass, maybe some banjo, uh, some guitar player I've never played with, well, two other guitar players I've never played with from two total different worlds of music. And if that happens, that would be that would be like I, I would I will put the earplugs black, back in and play loud again. Shit, yeah, man. Um, yeah, there's a lot of you guys living up, a lot of musicians um, up in that yeah. Asheville area. Yeah, there's some players. I mean, Claude from Ween lives out here, and uh, and we he actually played with Honky and I and played with Moist Boys when I was doing the Moist Boys Texas uh, shows with Fuck him yeah. and stuff. So we played together a few times. He's just super busy, obviously, with Ween, and uh, and he he's got a. Uh, a rehearsal studio that him and uh, his, his buddy Brett are, are running out here, which is a super cool place. Used to be a uh, uh, one of the few places for uh, black folk to be able to stay at in Nashville. And right. so now he's keeping it uh, like uh, he's trying to rebuild the restaurant, put the soul kitchen back in there. It would be like where the baseball teams would come, the Negro League baseball teams right. would stay at or whatever, you know. And so he's made, already made the, some of the rooms up there, and they've got some uh, historical value being where they're at, which is great for them as far as what they get. But hopefully that all work out. Again, he did that. You know, they got it open during the pandemic. Like wow. The one thing you don't want to open during the pandemic is a practice play, place, you know. No Bunch shit. Bunch of people in a small room. You uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a weird business decision, but you planned it out before that shit hit, you know. <laughs> right, right. Well, there it's, was, yeah, great, great musicians out here all over, man. We had uh, Jay Weinberg. He's Max Weinberg's son, and he plays with this metal band Slipknot. He lives up there. Uh, he's playing drums for Slipknot. Yeah, yeah, he's been okay, with him because I remember that Max Weinberg guy, man. I remember uh, 
Chuck Young, who's a writer for a bunch of magazines, Rolling Stone, Playboy, all that. But he said that was the heaviest. Uh, Max Weinberg was the heaviest hitting drummer he had ever seen out of any of the bands. And he wrote, you know, he was the first one to write about the Sex Pistols when they came over to the States and all that shit. But he was, he was just blown away by how hard Max hit the shit. And so every time I would see him, I was watching him. He was a fucking monster. Yeah. And this is his son, Jay. He's so, he's yeah. like a fucking powerhouse. Well, if he's playing that Slipknot shit, I think that's what most of my friends would that listen to Slipknot listen to is the drums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah uh, gotta, you got to have your chops up, I'm sure, on that. God almighty, yeah. Um, well, it's summertime. What records do you reach for when the, when the weather turns hot? Oh, shit, man. I like, uh, I, I like listening to Chicha music. Right. Uh, that's, there's... Uh, uh, I got, I guess, the Roots of Chicha, Volumes One and Two. Great listening to music because you can't, you can't be sad listening to that shit. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, I've uh, been getting into digging into the John Hartford lately. That's good. Uh, that's good kickback, good time uh, music. Uh, I reach for Graham Parsons. That's uh, that's that's some really good, good smooth summertime music. Hell yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, oh yeah, no, that's that's kind of that's kind of been most of it lately. But again, I, when I'm writing music, I don't really listen to as much uh, stuff. Oh yeah, but, I yeah. I get that. You got to create yeah. it, you know. Well, one yeah, last yeah, question. I get, I get my own stuff in my head, and that's when I start working on it, you know. Hell yeah. Well, one last question. I always hear your dog in the background and your music. Can you tell us a little about he or she? <laughs> well the one i've I've had we've, we've i guess even in the butthole surfers we had mark says all right which was mark farner paul's dog Hell uh yeah. slowed down growling uh but you know you know your dogs you know to me dogs represent a phase of your life and you look back and those dogs have seen more of you and your your stupidness and your goodness and everything else than anybody else has over the period of their lifetime and that luckily they can't talk you know but uh, <laughs> uh but so every every era, you know, like a, I'm a pure luck when I have my dog Patton, who rest in peace. He got runned over in, in New Orleans when I was down there, St. Claude Street. And so it was great to have him on that recording. I always have him on there. And, uh, yeah, they just happened naturally on this last record. Uh, the dogs were going nuts when I was playing, and I was like, hey, that kind of works. So, uh, But it's Boogity and, uh, Boogity and Aaliyah who passed away at the beginning of this year. She was one of the ones that uh, trained our new little one before she passed away, and they bonded over the chicken. I told you the dogs killed. Yeah, I was like they weren't they weren't buddies at all. The little one wanted to be, but as soon as they killed the chicken together, right before she died, that was like the that was the bonding. Yeah, so that, that nature's again nature's popcorn <laughs> 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 solved the problem. Yeah. Well, um. Uh, Jeff, thank you. This has been just the funnest talk, man. We're looking forward to you playing Flicker Theater here in in uh, Athens, Georgia. Any last words for our listeners? Yeah, man. Make the easy stuff look hard and make the hard stuff look easy. I want to sincerely thank uh, uh, Jeff Pincus for the great talk and uh, looking so forward to his show June 17th. Uh, the art opening of uh, Jeff Rapier and Gary Autry uh, will be at the wonderful Flicker Theater and Bar. 
Uh, make sure you get your tickets now and come on down and uh, see see an absolute legend, man, in person. Three legends. They're all legendary. Well, uh, stay switched on, and we will talk to you soon.